0: And welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello, and welcome to 9 to 42, which is the podcast from the guys at the Guitar Show UK. And my very good friend, Jason Hunter, appears to be... What's that haircut, Jace? You you've, you've... Looks like you've gelled down, that kind of weird <laughs> no, it's split my, hair uh...
1: thing you've got going on. I know, it's the uh, the headphones pulling. As my hair's got longer, it just pulls it down. Yeah.
0: Just... You've got that Billy Bunter schoolboy haircut oh, going on, haven't you?
1: Look, no, look, it's long. All right, you're... You, you... You you seemed
0: to need to prove that, didn't you? Yeah. Um, we didn't ask our guest tonight how he wanted to be introduced, so I'm just going to have to go straight in, and I'm going to go straight in with bassist only because we don't have many bassists on the podcast as a rule. So I'll go straight in with bassist. So we have got. We're very very pleased to have Chris Charles with us tonight. Chris, how are you?
2: I'm very well. Thank you very much. Nice to be here.
0: Well, it's lovely to see you. You're in you're in Hales Owen.
2: I am. Yeah, yeah. Just down the road from from Eulach.
0: And we've just discovered that you are the second most interesting, the equal joint most interesting thing in Hell's Owen. Is that what we decided?
2: Well, apparently, apparently Lainey is number one.
1: <laughs> Did you actually say that, Jase? Because that's a I bit didn't harsh say to that. our guest. No, I didn't say that. That's right. how it sounded to me. <laughs> that's
0: how I heard it as well, Chris, if I'm being perfectly, uh, if I'm being perfectly honest. So um, you two know each other because before we get to your bass playing career, you two know each other because you both work at BIM, don't you?
2: That's correct
1: yeah, so I I mean I you know as we discussed on the last podcast, I booked Luke to come and do the guitar show in a couple of weeks' time, and I had to change my days last week. Um, I was depping for a, another lecturer, uh, and it's a day that I'm not normally in, and I was in the kitchen uh, making a coffee, and Chris walked in, so we had a bit of a chat. But I've got to leave because I've got to get to parents' evening, which is, you know, dad stuff. And as I was leaving, I was like, shit, I should have asked him if he was to the podcast. But I was like, but also, I've got to get home and I can't be late for parents' evening. So I just dropped him an internal email um, the following morning and he graciously said yes.
2: Well, of course I will. Of course I will. Anything to help.
0: Chris, that's not actually. Jace, that sounds a little bit like I just asked the guy in the kitchen who was making a brew if he wants to come on the podcast because <laughs> we're desperate for guests. A no, little bit.
2: I think no, we should have perhaps all. made a
0: better effort to, you know, because Chris, you've played with some people, haven't you?
2: I have. Yeah, yeah. A very long and uh, illustrious career, I would say.
0: Well, I, I w- when I was looking down the list of people that you have based with, then I was, I was, I thought to myself, that's a long and illustri- illustrious career. When did you? When did you start? When did all this kick off for you? Was it a? Was it a typical teenage thing?
2: Yeah, it was. I, I actually started off playing guitar, playing six string when I was about twelve, I guess. Um, I had my own band. I was always the lead guitarist and the lead singer. Um, I actually fired my rhythm guitarist for being too loud. <laughs> <laughs> An awful thing to do. Um, and then when I, I, I suppose I was about 15, I realised that there were loads of guitarists in the area, but very few bass players. So I decided I'd, I'd just start playing bass. And uh, and that was it, really. I've done it ever since.
0: Right. So when were those first gigs then? Were you literally, was it about that age when you then, you know, you did you join another band? Did you become the bass player in your own band?
2: No, I... Um, I just started playing with, with local bands, really. I got my first break in a, in a pub in Chelmsford, which is where I come from, because the, uh, the band I used to go and see, their bass player hadn't turned up. So, uh, they, they literally did the thing and said, is there a bass player in the audience? And of course I stuck my <laughs> hand up and I ended up joining them and played with them for, for a few years. And then it just kind of went on from there. Um, I'm, I moved down to Cardiff and, and played in a top rank gig, which was like the, the disco ha- house yeah. band, did that for a few years. Um, and then ended up doing loads of, uh, TV work in Cardiff. Um, Pino, Pino Palladino is a Cardiff lad and, and he moved up to London to join, um, Who was it now? I think it was Jules, Jules Holland, or or maybe Gary Newman. And I took over all his work that he had in Cardiff. So that was kind of the the start of things.
0: So what does TV work in Cardiff look like then? Who, who Who are you playing
1: with?
2: Well, it's, it's, it's obviously very different now, but this was, this was in the eighties. Um, and there was, it was all Welsh language work, but it was, um, S4C and HTV Wales and BBC Wales, uh, were all serviced by the same musical director and I was working for him. So I got piles and piles of work, um, just doing live stuff in the studio, doing pre-records. Um, so there was, there was loads to do, but the, uh, Certainly the HTV studio, which was built um, at the time, was was kind of -of state-of-the-art SSL desks, all the best of everything. That shut down a few years ago, and everything got sold off. So it's a very different sort of landscape there now than than it was. That must have been a hell of an education, though, for you. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, it it was... um, the, it, 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 it went from the sublime to the ridiculous. Obviously, all the pre-records were great fun. There would be times when we would be um, stuck in a band room, uh, which was literally like a Faraday cage, um, whilst all the, the live stuff was going on in the studio, we'd be there all day and then just get the uh, the the nod from the producer we play live um, so that was really interesting and there'd be other stuff when I'd be filming there was one time when I I had to um this the song was Delilah because I was working for this it, she was kind of the Welsh version of Tracy Ullman. so it was songs and comedy and impressions and the 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 song we did was Delilah and the story was of Samson and Delilah and of course they decided that I would be the best Samson <laughs> so they put me in a bald cap and a loincloth Wow <laughs> that that wasn't that wasn't my finest moment in TV I have to tell you but it was it was brilliant fun it was absolutely brilliant
0: I think you forget as well if you're I mean because Jason and I we can remember but you know TV back in the day the all the incidental music. Everything that was going on, you know, there was a band on stage. Yep, and 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 like now, it would seem odd in that scenario. But you walk on to Wogan, or you walk, walk on to Parkinson, or you walk on to whatever, and there's a there's there's a there's a band there. And then it then it kind of morphed, didn't it, into kind of it went from being an orchestra type affair to then being it would be a four or five piece. Yep. But you're doing all those hits, you're doing all those those walk ons. Yeah. And then there'd normally be I guess a singing person somebody who would warble. And then you're the backing band for the warbler, aren't you?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was all of that stuff and it was it was great fun. I mean there were long days and like I say you were you were shut up in this little room. But of course when we when when we weren't doing stuff for the studio, we would just be jamming, we would be playing yeah. Hot for Teacher and, and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> it's great fun.
0: I I've not even thought about it before this conversation started, but you're the fir- probably the first person we've had on who's got that background. That's right, isn't it, Jace. We've, yeah, we've had yeah, lots of people who've yeah. done session work, but we've not had anybody on that side of the.
1: No, not at all. On, on that
2: side. <laughs> I've. I guess I've done pretty much everything there is to do uh, uh, as far as bass playing goes. Uh, I've never done a cruise though, I have to say that. No, right. that's uh, that's a lie. I've <laughs> I've played I've played on rock cruises, but I've never done like a, a full cruise like, where yeah, you're a yeah. house band. Yeah. Um I've done West End theatre. Um you know touring uh, radio pretty much, you know, pretty much done it all.
0: So how did you get in with Pino then?
2: Uh, it was literally because I was in Cardiff, and the um...
0: well, there were only two bass players in Cardiff.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, pretty much. Yeah, well, the, <laughs> right. after he left, there was only one. <laughs> right. um, but it was just the the musicians that I worked with were all friends of his. Um, there were some great, great players in Cardiff. I have to say,
0: yeah, yeah, because I mean, he was he became a de facto standard in a load of bands in London around the time, didn't it? I mean, yeah. you know that that band that that kind of band that you would get called in to do a, I don't know, like a, not a live-ed thing, but, you know, a, like a Nelson Mandela thing or a whatever thing, and then you look at him and he's on base.
2: Yeah, he's a great player, Pino. He's, he's, he's one of my big influences and a very nice chap as well. Kind of become the, the go-to session player, the, you know, world-class go-to session player. Mm. And rightly so, because he's, a, he's really good, really creative. You know, the thing he did with Paul Young... That was, you know, that was just part of what he does, but that was what he got known for.
1: Mm. So, on your Wikipedia page or a Wikipedia page that someone has created for you, uh, it says that you played with Paul Young as well. So, did you kind of, as he m- moved away from Paul Young, did you follow him again into that?
2: Well, pretty much, I've I've, I've followed in him in, into a few things like Go West. I I did some stuff with Go West uh, for a while. Um, I did a lot of touring with Paul Young. And yeah, he's, he's. I've kind of followed in his footsteps, but obviously not to uh, not to the the same sort of success as, as he's had.
1: Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, Thunder have done pretty well. I would say.
2: Oh yeah, that's been, Thunder has been brilliant. You know, it's 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 been a it's 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 quite unique, really. That sort of band. You know, I've I've played with a lot of people over the years. And um it's, there's never a crossword in thunder. Every, everything just seems to work. Everybody knows their job. We get on, uh, whether it's rehearsing, touring, traveling, recording, it's always fun. You know, nobody ever makes it hard. It's, it's never difficult. Um, so that you know that joining that band is, was one of the well, probably the best thing that's ever happened to him in, to me in my career.
1: Okay, because you know you talk. I talk to a lot of musicians, and they they wouldn't necessarily say on the podcast, but they'll talk to you, sort of off air, sort of thing. And like, it it, it seems to be that uh, there's a lot of bands that where it is quite fractious all of the time behind the scenes. It seems really unique if you all get on and you know
2: have a good time. <laughs> I mean, we we all moan about each other, you know, to to the other person, but mm. not in a not in a serious way, you know. Like I say, there's never been a crossword, never. Wow. Which is in when did I join? Ninety six. Uh, yeah, yeah. So how many years is that? A lot, quite a lot. few. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's 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 pretty pretty amazing, yeah. and obviously the 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 uh, uh, it's been it's been fantastic.
1: When I was talking to Joel, uh, he sent me the book, Thunder, Giving the Game Away, official biography. Uh, bless him. Joel McIver, who's been on this podcast. And I was reading um, about how you joined. And it says here it was your second... You didn't get-, get it on the first audition. It was the second?
2: No, no I went along and um, did a did a great audition. And for some reason, they, they chose somebody else. And then a couple of weeks later, they... Um, they, they called me up and said, do you want to come and try out again? Which I did, and then I was in. So I, I, I've never really worked out. I mean, in fact, they never even told me that I've got the gig. <laughs> it's just assumed now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. That's not, I'm still that's on not a pro- probationary period.
0: <laughs> but isn't Ronnie Wood the same? I mean, that's that's not a bad company to be in, is it?
2: Yeah, really? yeah. I, I, it just makes me laugh. I'm still the new boy.
1: Oh, you, oh, you always will be. Oh, twenty twenty-seven years, and you're still yeah. the newborn. Yeah, Brilliant. yeah. But
0: also, the, you're the the but the bass, the bassist. The, that's the only position in the band that's not an original member, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. So, that, and that's really unique as well. Because it is. it's hard to think of a band who who lasts anything longer than say a decade without probably one, two, or three members having a having you know moving away. I mean, I yeah. mean, normally there's there's one or two key members in a band. And at some point, those two key members probably fall out. One of them disappears off. But then, at some point, most of the rest of the band disappears, and they're replaced. And you know, and yet with Thunder, it's it's only it's only the the, the bass role, isn't it? And, and yeah. let's face it, you've lasted longer than anybody else.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think it is a testament to how well everyone gets on and how well everybody understands what's required. You know, more mm-hmm. to the point, you know, nobody, there's no egos in Thunder. Uh, it? No, it, it wouldn't be allowed. <laughs> it would what, be, uh, it would be beaten out.
1: What would what was it like joining uh, an already established band? Because I'm assuming that when you've played with Paul Young and then Jericho, which is prior to Thunder, you are quite clearly hired musician. You you do what you're told by a band leader or something. But I get the impression in Thunder you're a member of the band, yeah. not a hired musician. Is that weird walking in? Because they were probably going for, what, six or seven years? Maybe a bit longer, actually, before yeah. you actually join. Did, is it a weird dynamic at the start? Or? Well,
2: I've, I've got to be honest. I, I didn't know any Thunder songs before I joined the band, before I auditioned. Mm. Um, I'd actually I'd, I'd heard of Thunder through um, Mark Shaw's manager, he was, he was friends with, uh, Thunder's management. So I kind of heard of them through them. And i and it's funny, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd said to him a couple of times, come on, put, put in a good, good word for me with Thunder. Cause I, you know, I knew they were doing quite well. And he said, Oh, they're big time. You never get that. i oh, okay. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd never, and, until I got the cassette. To to learn the the songs for the audition, I'd I'd never really heard of them, and, and and a couple of the guys that I was playing with in another band, I said, oh, I'm I'm auditioning auditioning for Thunder. They said, bloody hell, you know they're brilliant, better man, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, oh great, well I'll look forward to that then. And and the the first gig I did, which was at the King's Head in Fulham, I think, which was kind of a warm up Christmasy Christmasy show type thing. I actually couldn't believe the audience's reaction. i would never seen anything like it with any other band that I played with. You know, obviously, I, I, I played with a few popular bands, but there was just such a an outpouring of of uh, of love for the band from the audience. And I, I'd, n- not before or since, I've I've never seen anything like it. Thunder's audience are literally the best you could you could hope for.
1: I think mm. it was a, it was like a. Re- you know, at that sort of period in the sort of mid '90s, we were, we were really experiencing that sort of like brick rock thing, weren't we? You know, there was there was Thunder, there was Little Angels, there was the Wild Hearts, and, and it was, and it did feel like a really special time. It, yeah, you know, and the the if you talk to any of those bands, as we have done on this podcast, they will tell you that the fans were amazing. I think they're, they're they're the same fans across all of those sort of brick rock bands, but it was just. I Don 't know whether it's because we we'd been fed a diet rock fans have been fed a diet of American bands for so long. it seemed quite nice to have our own scene that wasn't from the sunset strip sort of yeah. thing, or or Seattle by that point
2: yeah know? well that was that was what uh, as as you probably know or you've probably read in the book that that was uh, grunge the the advent of grunge was what stopped Thunder dead in its tracks in America mm. because the the band this was this was before I joined the band was due to um was was doing really well it was on the 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 singles were on high rotation on MTV that back in the day when that meant something um and it was looking very, very promising for, for, for the band in, in America. And they were due to tour with Van Halen, a really, really massive tour. And and literally the, the night before they were due to fly out, management called up and said, um, unpack your bags. Uh, Grunge has killed the tour. That's it. And, and from, from then it was just like, stop, stop dead. Stop yeah. dead in the tracks. Wow.
0: And, and it took a while before any of those bands actually knew how to, what the response to that was, I mean it was so overwhelming. Because mm. you're right, it killed them all. It killed them all, Stone yeah down. I mean, you look at all those bands we've just mentioned, and they all they all kind of died. And but then, interestingly, pretty much all of them then, you know, had a had a resurgence. And I think you you then you back to that whole fan thing of okay, you know, maybe somebody with the money pulls the plug. But uh, you know, and we're a bit ahead of the, um, we're a bit ahead of the point where the technology existed for bands to be able to actually speak directly to the fans and to actually organise themselves into into a kind of a commercial model that made sense. Yeah. Um, so you've got that kind of horrible sort of, I don't know, five ten years in between bands like Thunder being able to actually take control themselves. Um. And and this kind of void that's almost left by by grunge, yeah. Um, and it's and it does seem a little bit because I say pretty much all those bands had some form of resurgence. Uh, yeah, because Little Angels definitely had a little bit of a, 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 a comeback moment. Obviously, you know, Thunder of of effectively it's that's a kind of like a play in three acts, isn't it? Really, to a certain extent. Mm. Um, but a lot of the others have And it, and it just it just. You look back at that whole grunge thing and go, yeah, but it really, it left a trail of destruction in its in its wake, and it wasn't the fans who were necessarily who who stopped coming or stopped wanting to go to the gigs or stopped wanting to buy the music.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, I'm I'm sure it was the record companies just saw saw the new thing and didn't want the old thing. Mm. But that's that's the thing with with Thunder's fans; they're incredibly loyal. You know most of them most of them will have, have been there from from the start, and they're mm-hmm. still there, some of them dip in and out and and you know I every and you know, again you'll come, you'll come across somebody who says oh i didn 't realize you were still going yeah and yeah you know we're still there yeah.
0: and <laughs> so, i probably sit in that dip in and out category to be fair because i was I was there right at the beginning and and saw them on that those first couple of tours, and I think the reason why so many of us have such an affection. It's because they're such a bloody good live band.
2: Mm.
0: I mean, those gigs are you know, you you come away from a thunder gig drenched in sweat. You have rocked out for two, (laughs) two and a half hours. Yeah. And it's funny and it's lively and it's just it's edge of your seat stuff, it's just there's nothing about it other than it's two hours of a really good time. I mean we used to go and bounce. I mean I I don't know Danny still bounces, but I mean he used to just bounce everywhere.
2: Well, that's a, a journo years ago said. Everybody comes away for, from a thunder gig with a smile on their face, and that's I, I think that's re- really what it's all about. But you know, everybody enjoys it, including us. You know, mm. and probably us more than anyone.
1: Mm. So you you joined in ninety six, and then the band stops about two thousand uh, for a couple yep. of years. I mean, did that sort of like feel like your legs have been taken away? From- for Monday sort of thing. Did it you- was,
2: it was the worst day. It was just awful. You know, uh, I, I, I understand the reasons it was, it was basically that it was a, a bit of the, they're ever decreasing circles. The, the, the records weren't selling as well. The tickets weren't selling as well. Um, and the, the decision was made to just call a halt. um, um kind of reset mm. because danny um danny was offered i'm trying to remember if this was if this was the first time or the second time it may have been the second time i, I do get confused because it was a long while ago <laughs> uh, but yeah it, but yeah basically it 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 wasn't happening as well as it had been mm. so they decided that it was best to just call a halt um keep our powder dry as it was put and possibly come back when the time was right, which is what happened. And then, you know, we, we, we had a few, a good few years and then it happened again. Um, for, for the, the second time, I think it was because when we, when we came back, we had our own record company, which Danny was running he was also managing the band doing all the finances, you know, basically, and obviously singing as well. And, uh, doing everything apart from writing the songs which Luke did um and he, he it became a bit too much so he decided that uh, who's going to do something else he became an agent and mm-hmm. um, worked for the agency Neil Warnock um and then again there was just the right time to come back and and I, as I recall we came back with Wonder Days which was a great album you know for one one of the best albums I think a couple of the records in in the middle, like from giving the game away through I think I, I wouldn't say we lost our way it was just a, a slightly different direction mm. um possibly wasn't as as popular with the the die diehard die, die hard fans, whereas Wonder Days was kind of back to back to what they liked.
1: So, so what do you get up to when thunder's in those sort of like off periods do you go back to doing tv work or go back to doing sort of sessioning for other people or
2: no well i've, I've got my own studio so I, I do i do mixing and stuff here i do uh, well especially in the past few years i've been doing albums remotely i play with a few other bands i play with an eagles tribute band which is which is great fun. You know, eagles, eagles tunes are just fantastic uh, to play with. Um, um, I, I do what I, I do, whatever comes up. Really, you know, there's there's a at one point I was in four or five bands, which was slightly difficult to juggle. You know, <laughs> um, but uh, the TV work I don't I don't do it. The the whole session scene really has changed beyond recognition from certainly from when i was doing it in the 90s where you know if you wanted to make a record you had to go to a studio yeah um and of course most of the big studios are closed down now uh if you want to make a record you do it at home
1: yeah Hmm. i was going to ask you about the uh the tribute i've got it written down the the ultimate eagles how how different is that being in a tribute band to an originals band is it any different because i know they play pretty decent sized venues don't they
2: um tribute bands are strange um we we don't i mean we we're fairly we're fairly grounded but there are certainly some tribute bands who uh because the audience know the songs and love the songs you get a an amazing reaction from them mm. and some tribute bands start believing it's them yeah. yeah that the audience love whereas it's not it's the music mm. you know and so some people some tribute bands tend to take themselves a little too seriously and forget what it is they're actually doing yeah but i you know i love it like, like as, as long as you remember what, what it is you're doing, it's great. They're great songs to play and, and the audience love it. It's very, very different from Thunder um, because it's in in order to to make it sound like a, a CD, we have a quiet stage. We have Perspex around the drums, although we have that with Thunder as well now. Shut him up about time. <laughs> um, so it's a, a completely quiet stage. It's all on IEMs. Yeah. So it's, it, it, it's it's quite an isolated way of 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 playing you know it's you don't get the same sort of feedback from the audience because you're you're in your own little world um, and everything is done to a click uh, because we we run video with the, with the show mm-hmm. so it's all a little bit it's it's not as exciting of well obviously a thunder show is going to be far more exciting but it's it is just a little bit isolated but it sounds great you know so it's it's a trade-off between playing making a great show for the, for the audience and uh, enjoying it yourself
0: do you think you're suited to that because of the tv work and say some of the work in the pit
2: absolutely yeah yeah it, uh, it, it, it was an easy transition to make you know, I'd, I've spoken to two other bass players or other musicians and, and, and described how we do it. And they say, so, oh, no, no, I couldn't do that. No, it's not. It's no fun. Mm. But, but, you know, the fun is make it a great noise. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's where I get my enjoyment from.
0: Yeah, because you're talking about a point where reproduction's as, as important as performance, aren't you? Mm. Really. And as you yeah. say you're not you're not the base player from the eagles you know no and 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 i guess remembering that which, which which is is quite a difficult thing to do but obviously you kind of got to remember it if you want to put over that kind of performance that you're trying to get to
2: yeah and and we we do it literally note for note. You know, it's yeah. it's like forensic. It's it's microscopic. Every note is right, mm. which I think is if you're doing something like the Eagles, that's the only way to do it because that's how yeah. it is written and recorded. You know, every note means something.
0: Yeah, it's one of the reasons why you hear these these comments where like Bill Wyman will go and see a Stones tribute band and say, "Well, they sound more like the Stones than we ever did." Yeah, you know. <laughs> Uh, which I'm sure Bill Wyman has said about the Counterfeit Stones, actually. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. sound far more like the Stones than we ever did. <laughs> uh, and it's that kind That's of vibe, funny. isn't it? That's funny. Whereas Thunder's not that at all, is it?
2: No, no, absolutely not. There are a few, there, there are a few Thunder tribute bands. In fact, there's a Japanese female Thunder tribute band.
1: Wow. Have oh, you seen wow.
2: them? No, no, I haven't, no. But I, I, I believe they're on YouTube. But, you know, you, if, if you look on YouTube, there's there's various people doing Thunder Tunes. You know, some of them do, do it great. But the only problem is they haven't got Danny. No. You know, Danny has such a unique voice. Nobody is, is ever going to sound like Thunder. You know, they can <clears throat> get the guitar parts right and the bass parts right and the drum parts right, but nobody will ever sing it like Danny.
1: No, no. I, I went back uh, and uh, I've basically watched Like a potted history on YouTube of Thunder from the start to the latest single over the last few days. And um I I, just like he's got an incredible voice. And he used to have incredible hair as well. He did use to have incredible hair. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it was spectacular. And like you say, bounce, he just bounced and all the videos, he's just bouncing endlessly.
2: You, you, you talk about his hair. he, he confessed to me that b- back in the early days when it was, you know, this long, mm. he would end up swallowing it <laughs> like a whole length of it went. <laughs>
0: oh, dear. Oh, well, that's not worth thinking yeah. about. Oh, dear. One thing I must ask, while well, we're still on the thunder slightly, I know we keep dipping in and out of this, but because you'll have been far more recent than I have, what's Rock City like these days? Because that's where I first saw them play. And it's a fantastic venue.
2: Yeah, I haven't been there for a long while. Oh, we, right. we used to do the, the Christmas shows there every year, but I, I haven't been there for, God, it, might, it must be 10 years, I guess.
0: Right, right. It's a unique venue, mm-hmm. really, is it? I'm assuming you still stick to the floor when you walk in.
2: I, I'd, uh, be, I'd be disappointed if you if didn't. you didn't.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, they sold the floor. <laughs>
2: really? You, you, you sold the floor? You, you,
1: you could buy a piece of the floor. You, okay you can't leave that hanging jace i, I don't i mean i i, oh, I can't think of the last time i went to rock city it's not that long ago but then you throw in the pandemic and you go well it's clearly more than yeah, yeah. three years ago mm. um but I, th- I think the last time i went i went to see brian fallon um yeah and I, I kind of signed up to a mailing list maybe when i bought the tickets one of those that you've not really signed up to but yeah they were i'm sure they were auctioned off the floor that wow, you could buy okay. a part of, like, like, you know, when football teams auction off part yeah. of the pitch or A bit of Wembley or something. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of Rock City's dirty, sweaty, oh. alcohol sudden oh, floor.
0: Oh, well, I, I wish I'd got a bit of that. I probably would have put it in the garden. To
1: be fair. <laughs> probably would have been safer in the garden. Uh, but but <laughs> rest assured, the venue hasn't changed. It's, All right, brilliant. It's still great. Brilliant. Splendid. Uh, <laughs> um, I was going through this this lovely book off Joel, and because and, it is a guitar show podcast and there is a picture of you at the very back. I'm, I'm going to hold it up and I don't know if you can see it. Playing the fantastic looking bass.
2: Oh, that was, the, uh, that was a Sandberg 48.
1: Ah.
2: I, I don't have that any longer because Sandberg very kindly built me a, a, a signature model.
1: Oh. So what's your signature? Uh, yeah, tell tell me about a signature model. How do you kind of... Because I, um, I can see a bass hanging behind
2: you that um... that's just as uh, music man sterling
1: yeah how, how'd you go about specking did, was it a kind of like you just changed the finish or did you really get involved in the kind of process of it
2: well h- how it came about basically i'd I'd got a couple of Sandberg basses and I'd, I'd got one that I really really liked, but it was a natural finish it didn't look very rock and roll mm-hmm. and um would I'd I'd, I'd I'd spoken to Holger. Holger Stonjak, who's the uh, the the guy who owns uh, Sandberg, I've spoken to him on a few occasions. I've gotten really well with him, and um, I just I just had this idea because the the paint job on the forty eight, which was the the photo you just showed, yeah. um, it's basically black with the two stripes. And and I said to Holger, how about making a bass like i've got which was basically with a like a music man type pickup in the neck in in the bridge position and a, a precision type in the neck position i said how about making something like this that looks a bit more rock and roll so basically it was a california vm with a 48 paint job and he said yeah great so I, I kind of worked with him on the on the pickups um i i did, did a little design on for the 12th fret which was kind of my logo mm. um and we we worked through we worked extensively on there were a few things that i would have liked to have but it was a trade-off between it being too expensive and nobody buying it because yeah. they're, they're, apparently there there was like a cut-off um, in terms of pricing, so we had to the, there were a few things that got lost along the way um, and a few things that got changed and and i 'm really pleased with how it ended up it 's old it' sold a few I'd, i 've got no idea how many
1: the other pictures that you seem to be playing a Rickenbacker bass, which I always think is the coolest looking of all oh bass guitars.
2: oh you can 't beat them the funny The funny thing is you see i, I I always loved Chris Squire's playing. Mm-hmm. I loved his sound in, in Yes, and, and I just thought, I, I've got to have a Rickenbacker. If I get a Rickenbacker, I'm going to sound like Chris Squire. Did I fuck? <laughs> no, um, no.
1: It's, it is the great myth of the musical instrument industry, though, isn't it? If you buy the same gear, you'll sound just the same.
2: But uh, I have to say, um, it was probably only a couple of years ago I discovered the reason why i didn't sound like that it's the the ricco sound uh, output because basically it's, there's there's two jacks on a the Rickenbacker. Mm. there's the the normal mono one and there's a stereo one and what you do is you take two two outputs you you take the each the ricco sound basically sends the two pickups out individually so you take the um bridge one put that into an overdriven amp You take the neck one and put that into a a normal bass amp, and all of a sudden, you sound like Chris Squire. Oh, wow! So, and that was that was a revelation. Found out on YouTube.
0: (laughs) I thought we'd broken something then. (laughs) It turns turns out we're just late to the party again, yes,
2: Yeah. yeah but i've i've got i've got quite a few bases i've i haven't got anything that's that's really sort of vintage or really expensive but i've got some old bases i've got um, a precision that was built for me by a friend of mine a friend of mine called dan mcpherson which is just beautiful um ricky i like uh, i I, i'm I've, i've got a status as well because i Back in the day, I had a status five string, um, a headless one, and a status fretless, which I which I sold. And you know, like everyone who sells a guitar, I wished I hadn't. So I bought myself another one. I'm I'm very fickle. I I just tend to have a favourite and use that for a while, and then have another favourite. <laughs> I'm actually loving this at the moment. Um, it's because uh, I've uh, I've I've got a, a four string. Um, stingray fretless which I'd obviously use with Paul Young and that's that's a beautiful bass I had a four string fretted um, uh, Stingray which I used for a while with Thunder but never really it wasn't really right for rock mm-hmm. you know if uh, I've, I've always found with the Stingray they're great if you're playing finger style and slap they sound fantastic if you're playing with a pick they tend to scoop out too much you you they they don't have that mid-range that say a precision or a jazz has got hmm. so i i got shot of the the fretted one but then i decided i wanted to get a another a fretted one and this this like i say this is a sterling which i think was six or seven hundred quid as opposed to two and a half grand for a, a music man and it's fantastic i'm loving it i'm i'm doing an album uh, in a couple of weeks time i'm kind of doing recording the tracks at home just to to learn them and uh, and I'm using that on all the songs it sounds fantastic.
1: Oh, brilliant. So what what are your plans? I mean um you know fortunately it seems like Danny's on the road to recovery now. He started back on classic rock this week I think. Um Planet Rock. A, Planet Rock. Yes. Uh, after his fall um before Christmas. Um so what plans have you got? Are you still waiting to see how Danny's recovery goes before thunder do anything again
2: yeah yeah basically he's um uh, i mean every all the specialists and all the doctors that that have have treated him have said that his recovery is nothing short of miraculous because basically he he had an aneurysm uh we're not really sure the the sequence of events but it's generally accepted now that he had a bleed on the brain which caused him to fall down some stairs he fractured his skull um he was in a coma for for quite a long time uh and i'll be honest the first time i saw him a couple of weeks afterwards i just thought there's no way he's going to recover um but he's great i mean i don't know if you heard him on planet rock you would you would never think that anything's happened to him he's uh, he's still doing working really really hard on the physio uh cuz it was you know it was a major operation and mm. you know people who have that sort of injury sometimes they don't they mm. don't survive well they, for the first 72 hours it was touch and go for him you know i i thought i was going to lose my mate mm. i really did um, and then for the, the, the months after that, you know, it, it was really quite unsure of how, how fully he would recover. And he's doing loads and loads of physio. He's working hard every day. He's, he gets really tired, which apparently that sort of injury is, you know, causes exhaustion, but he's, he's working at it. Um, just taking it a step at a time. So we're, we'll just have to see what, what the future holds for Thunder. I, I know, but knowing Danny as I do, um, he will work and work and work at it. You know, if it's, if it's possible, he'll do it, mm. without a doubt.
1: And in the meantime, you continue recording in your studio and teach. How, did, how on earth did you end up teaching at BIM?
2: It was uh, through a friend of mine, a guy called David Rattenbury, who uh, I oh, think yeah, does, yeah. does a, a lot of the social stuff for, for BIM. He, um, I knew him when he was working at PMT, and uh, he just happened to mention me. He said, oh, I'll be great. you know, Come and have a look around BIM, and maybe we'll get you in for a masterclass. So I, I went and, and spent a day looking around there and met a couple of the guys. And, uh, and then the next thing I know, um, somebody contacts me and says, well, how, are you? how do you fancy lecturing? How would that be? I said, well, I used to teach years and years ago, just sort of one-to-one at home. But, you know, I've, I've never been in a classroom. I've I've no idea how it would go. And strangely enough, I absolutely loved it and seemed to be able to do it quite well, much <laughs> to my surprise.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a typical Bim way. They did that to me like 12 years ago. Have you ever thought about being a lecturer? No. <laughs> would you like to think about it? um okay um but it's a lot of fun isn't it it's really rewarding
2: oh it really is and and i think one of the obviously I, I don't have any any teaching qualifications but i think one of the reasons they wanted me was because i've got a huge amount of experience you know i've i've learned a lot over the past hour oh, god knows how many years i've been doing this and as you said earlier i've done loads I've done loads and I've taken it all in. So there's there's a there's a lot. I've got a lot to offer. You know, if 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 they wanna learn, I've got a lot to teach them. You know, BIM is all about real world experience, you know, it's 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 preparing the students to go out and, and make a living in the real world. It's not just about qualifications, you know, it's preparing them for how it's gonna be.
1: Oh, absolutely! I I showed uh, my event students the other day um, one of my budgets that I used to have to do when I was at the NEC, and it absolutely terrified them because it was like seven hundred lines long. This thing, but it was like, but when they were, because um, um, without wishing to get too far into it, they, the the students rate you as a lecturer at the end of each semester, sort of thing, and they they are absolutely loving seeing real actual documents that are required for putting on events or Mm. you know real life experience getting off a touring bass player you know and it's the same in every department you know that we teach it is i just find it an amazing place to work to be honest
2: yeah it is it's brilliant really good
1: you know i almost said then i'd almost do it for free but clearly i won't do it for free if any of my bin friends are listening i do (laughs) require paying
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I tell you what though the first the first time i went round there i just thought my oh god if there was somewhere like this when i was a kid when i was learning you know rooms full of amps and guitars and 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 well you know computers now obviously yeah. when i was a kid that wasn't a thing that, um, but I, I just would have lived there i would have moved in Oh, that know. would have been that would have been my life
1: i know i'd I say exactly the same thing that if i'd have been 17 and thinking of where to go i'd have given me right arm to have gone to somewhere like bim it's just yeah. incredible uh yeah we should probably wrap it up then we've been on for like 50 minutes or something haven't we so we we have
2: and and uh i'll see you down at the show in a couple of weeks time
1: you will indeed oh and are I'll, you coming
2: I'll... along I'll oh in. yeah absolutely somebody's got a heckle luke throw things at him
1: <laughs> yeah i was gonna say when you're asking luke questions on the stage yeah chris is
0: gonna be <laughs> chucking stuff at man.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. Fantastic.
1: (laughs) All going, no, Luke, that's not how it happened. (laughs) (laughs) I'll
2: tell you what, when uh, every now and again, like Danny and Luke and Danny and Benny have done like evenings with, and uh, if if they ever do it again, it's worth going along because it is hilarious. You get some of this because you can imagine from so many years of touring, there's so many stories and uh, they come out with quite a few of them. It's 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 uh it's it's really good fun.
0: That's a future Brilliant. podcast episode.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm.
0: Well Chris, thank you very much. You're very very kind. We need to uh, we need to say thank you to
1: our sponsors. We, we uh,
2: do, do. thank
0: thank the lovely people at Focusrite. Right. And Jace, are you
1: ready? Yeah, this podcast is made using the Scarlet two I two. Oh, that was one of your best ones yet, actually. <laughs> I like that one. I've had a lot have of practice. We, have we got any text from Reverb yet?
0: Are we just saying, tower no, said, again
1: to Reverb? No, they sent me an email this morning that said, you'll have the text by the end of the week. Right. I was like, oh, okay, fine. But right. uh, yes, thanks to Reverb for sponsoring the live stage at the guitar show. Or to give it its correct name, the Reverb live stage. Uh-huh. The Reverb live stage.
2: Perhaps I'm looking forward to it.
1: Oh, it'll be a blast.
2: No, I mean, I'll, I'll get up and play if you want me to. I'll, I'll do anything, you know. Oh,
0: awesome. well, take him up on that, Jace. Yeah, yeah.
2: Right, well, we'll see you there. Certainly will.
0: Thanks for listening to to 9to42, the podcast from the team at The Guitar Show UK. If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about 9to42, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at The Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production.